You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. South Africa's corporates rightly shifted their investment focus offshore over the last decade because domestic policy and growth prospects uh, looked non-existent. But despite weaker rand tailwinds, these deals have almost without exception been shocking examples of capital allocation and shareholders have been left to uh, foot the bill of offshore expansionary folly. Well, in this environment, the only realistic options available to local management teams now are either share buybacks or delistings. There's still a number of those on the cards to increase dividend payouts or to look uh, to corporate restructuring to unlock value. Think of the likes of PPC or M&A to take out competitors or to consolidate the market. And we are seeing this play out with the likes of the Heineken Distel transaction and a few others. And it all requires an extremely firm handle on brand valuation. Well, Brand Finance Africa released its annual rankings of South Africa's top 50 brands recently, uh, which makes for fascinating reading for shareholders and managers alike. The top 50 most valuable South African brands were initially forecast to lose over 65 billion rand in cumulative brand value or 15 percent during the pandemic. However, resolve and resilience, uh, attributes that arguably define South African culture, have meant that the top 50 have only recorded a 2 percent or just under 9 billion rand decrease in cumulative brand value uh, from 471.3 billion rand last year to 462.4 billion in 2021. And this resilience is especially evident in the impressive recovery seen on the JSE, which returned uh, to January 2020 levels after just 15 months. Well, I'm joined now by Ben Bagri, who's senior analyst at Brand Finance in London, along with colleague Paral Sony, who's an associate at Brand Finance, and Jeremy Sampson, the MD of Brand Finance Africa. Now, Jeremy, you've been running this ranking for years now. Just to take us through the background to this league table. Hello, Michael. Um, basically, uh Brand Finance has been around for 25 years this year, and they carry out rankings around the world um, of the top brands um, by sector, such as banking, finance, whatever, and by country. So this, I think, is about the ninth or tenth year we've done it in South Africa, looking at the top 50, so that you can actually, using global best practice, because most of the work is done in London, and we are ISO compliant in both brand value, that's the finance, and brand evaluation, which is brand strength, as we call it. Some people would prefer to look at reputation. So what we're doing is monitoring what's happening in South Africa, what brands are coming up, what are disappearing, um, what are the movements around the place. So this year, especially after the last 15 months we've had of COVID-19, has been especially interesting to see who the winners are, who the losers are. And as you've highlighted already, the incredible resilience of these top brands. And that's why we're saying we need to celebrate as South Africans, the top South African brands, because they do an awful lot of good for the country. And on that point, Ben, uh, and you're, you're coming to us uh, from London, but when you look at this, how correlated are strong brands with financial outperformance in general? When you look at companies globally, what is that link? Michael, I think uh, year on year at Brand Finance, we observe a highly strong correlation between stronger brands and financial performance across all our sector and country rankings. Um, when you actually break it apart, I think the reasons themselves are, are fairly obvious. Um, for example, you know, a, a stronger brand and a stronger reputation means that you can probably attract better suppliers, you could probably arrange better credit terms, you could probably get a lower cost of borrowing on, on uh, deals from banks. Um, 
in fact, we've actually tracked since 2008 the return of highly uh, strongly branded companies against the S&P 500. And since then, we have consistently seen that the return has been higher for those companies. And it's unsurprising if you look at uh, the, the brand finance SA top 50 that you do see those blue chip companies time and again uh, amongst those with the strongest brands, be it in valuation or, or evaluation to your point, Jeremy. There's also the small issue of soft power apparel. If you look at it, the French call it poissance, the opposite is pouvoir. We've discussed this briefly on the show in the past. Just remind us uh, what soft power is at a corporate level at its core. Yes, yeah, so through extensive literature review and expert consultation, including the pioneering work of Joseph Nye, who actually coined the term soft power, so we have come up with a definition, and we define it as the country's ability to influence preferences and behaviors factors in the international arena through attraction and persuasion rather than coercion. And what this really means is that it encompasses how you come across to people around the world, and it's what defines how people around the world feel about you whether they want to do business with you, move to your country, try your food, or even visit your country for a holiday. And I think it's vitally important as uh, we look to rebound from COVID that one, we get the vaccine rolled out, but two, we start improving and focusing on our soft power to make sure that we are one of those attractive nations to do business with because you like to refer to them as nations not uh, not countries or, or, or nation states I should say. Peril, um, how does one actually measure that though because it seems intuitively like it's something very ephemeral very subjective uh, but brand finance is pretty scientific uh, when it goes about measuring these kinds of things. How do you do it? Yeah, Absolutely. So at brand finance we launched one of the most comprehensive research surveys out there to measure just that um, with our global soft power index research. And the research surveys over 75,000 general public audiences across 100 different countries, but also a select group of specialists and influencers to try and understand how they view and rate nations on a variety of different metrics. So this soft power assessment is an aggregation of all of these perceptions, looking at not just measures like influence and reputation, but also perceptions on specific pillars of specific areas where soft power is exercised, like business and trade, um, education, science, tourism. And this is really what forms the Global Soft Power Index ranking. And uh, we'll come back to how South Africa has fared through uh, COVID. Uh, initially, the president uh, was, was widely praised for his handling of the pandemic. Uh, the vaccine rollout now has been painfully slow, as I'm sure, Jeremy, you'll attest to. I don't know if you've received your, your shot over the weekend. I see <laughs> only about five and a half thousand uh, were administered over the weekend. But Ben, I want to come back to uh, the, the highlights now from the, uh, the brand finance top 50 SA rankings, because if you look at it uh, and what really stands out for me is uh, is some of the movies in the in the financial services sector standard bank old mutual absa as well doing quite well mtn again top of the pile for you what are the highlights so i th i think some of the interesting ones was of course old mutual did shift up um, one rank in the table it's a highly respected and well-known brand across south africa i think uh, during pandemics you know a lot of consumers will move towards trusted brands that have been around for a long time, sort of, um, you know, brands that they feel that they can rely on and that they can really get the most out of. Another interesting one entering the top 10 for the first time was was Mondi, uh, the packaging and, and uh, paper company. 
they've had a huge drive towards sustainability around their products. And I think, you know, that's obviously a global theme where the world um, puts sustainability under the spotlight um, and comes down very hard on companies that you know, don't follow these kinds of practices. So I think they've done extremely well there. You know, again, you, you might think of that industry as not being hugely brand orientated as a lot of their deals, so to speak, would be B2B. Mm. But, you know, they've really focused on their brand and they've made that a, a sort of key mm. core element of their, their overall offering and positioning. It's interesting. Uh, Safri Pol is another one of those players locally that we see as a polymer producer is a B2B uh, facing business. Absolutely massive business as part of the listed cap group. But he's starting to engage uh, in a B2C manner around sustainability because if you're in the plastics value chain you know that regulation is coming that uh, climate change is a big driver of uh, your concerns for all of your stakeholders so interesting to see how this is now starting to reflect in strategic uh, decision making at, at a corporate level jeremy what stood out for you uh, you mentioned resilience earlier that that was certainly a factor for me we were anticipating a massive decline in brand valuations uh, at this time last year and it's just remarkable how quickly we bounced back but it is and you know this is where when you look at the the jsc Go, go back to sort of March, and we thought, oh, it's going to go right down. But it's bounced, and I'm talking March last year, of course, and this year it's back to where it was, so 15 months later. Um, but as we know, banks and the financial sector is the most important sector in, in South Africa, and they are very, very strong indeed. Um, but then people think, okay, well, the telcos, and yes, but who would be three? And until last year, it was insurance, and insurance was the strong one. This year, retail has come up. And I think it's um, interesting that perhaps because of COVID, the retailers generally have done very well. Checkers in particular has come up very, very strongly uh, on its reputation. And I, I think if we live in town cities, we see their scooters buzzing around the place. Uh, this wouldn't have happened 15 months ago. So that's a very strong area. And then insurance in number four. Um, obviously, where we're incredibly weak is technology. Uh, and that's one of the metrics that we use for um, soft power. And there we don't have a single technology company in the top 50, uh, which is extremely sad. I think a few years ago, EOH might have been just on the uh, fringes, around about 49 or 50. But of course, EOH has had its situations of late but it's coming back, so we hope that'll be faster. But it is interesting to see the movement, what's going on. Markham's is the highest riser of the year, um, part of um, the Fashini Group, um, and the biggest loser is Country Road. So there you are in the same sector. One is right up and one has gone down, and it just shows you that uh, while some are resilient, the others, if they don't keep punching hard, are going to fall away. Yeah, that, that is the thing about reputation and reputation management, brand management. Uh, it's a constant journey that you're on. You're building that culture and it can be eroded or wiped out in an instant. And EOH is a fine example of how difficult it is to rebuild. And I think CEO Stephen Van Collar is doing an exceptional job. He's opened up the company, forensically audited by ENS Africa. The SIU are probing. They're regularly mentioned in front of the Zondo Commission. And it's painful because it's not under his watch that any of this happened. But he's doing it to recalibrate 
the kind of ethical foundations of the organization. Ben, I just want to come back to on on how brands matter in an environment where customer loyalty is really tested by the ease with which we can now click, say, e-commerce, for example. And if I want to go to a particular retailer, it's not about one being further away from home. It's literally available on my desktop or on my smartphone. So that ease with which consumers can switch between brands uh, really is an interesting in, uh, part of this new world that we're living in. Is branding still relevant then? Or is it all just about you know, what is your, your service offering and what is your, your cost and entry point for a consumer? What, what role does branding play in that? So I think a good place to start there is to think of it in terms of accessibility. If, if both brands are equally accessible, then perhaps the consumer is going to choose what they deem to be the, the more preferred brand. But if, for example, an inferior pr uh, product exists with a slightly weaker brand, but as you say, it's available easily, whereas the alternative is difficult to get your hands on, then that does pose a significant challenge for the brand. And I think that's where, you know, the brand owners and brand managers need to actually invest in that area and ensure that whatever they are selling, whether it's a product or service, is readily accessible to, to those who need it. Mm. I think um, Amazon is a, a good example around the world where the, a big part of the, the brand identity is around it being so accessible. You know, you can go online and choose a product and expect it to be on your doorstep within 24 hours and I think perhaps something like that is, is what needs to be taken into account when thinking about the brand and, and technology in that light. We're talking about the brand finance SA top 50 brands and remarkably only a 2% overall decline in brand value when we're expecting a lot more around uh, March of last year when uh, the whole world was going into lockdown, South Africa uh, included. And uh, speaking of lockdown, Peril, uh, we talk of soft power and uh, it does look like South Africa's soft power is on the increase. If you look at the US administration now supporting South Africa and India for their TRIPS waiver to make uh, vaccines more broadly accessible around the world. Yet on the other hand, if you also uh, look at our rollout, we have been found wanting. Uh, we're just not rolling the vaccine out fast enough. We haven't been able to procure it. How has South Africa's soft power fared during the pandemic? Yes, yeah, so COVID-19 definitely has been one of the most defining features in how audiences have viewed nations this year and what they really value. There's been an incredible focus on steady leadership, governance, economic resilience, as well as science and technological powers. And nations that have performed extremely well have been recognized in the space. So we see countries like New Zealand, Australia, Singapore doing well. While we also see, on the other hand, countries that have had a disappointing performance have also been noticed. So countries like US, UK, and some of the other European nations that were hit badly early on. For most other nations, it has meant that COVID perceptions are aligned with general perceptions of the state of governance in that country. And what this means for South Africa is that South Africa has had a sort of mid-table ranking across all aspects of COVID-19. It's not really seen as a disaster, but it's also not really seen as a role model in crisis management. Now, this might suggest that some of the efforts of the nation in this space in you know, fighting for equal access to vaccines needs to be amplified more. And you know, while vaccine development, diplomacy, and issues around vaccine access haven't actually been captured in um, this year's survey because of the timing of it, we expect that this is going to be an incredibly important issue in um, the next iteration of our research. Very interesting. So uh, we need to uh, keep up 
uh, that good work that we're doing that we did around the AIDS crisis as well. There are a lot of parallels around that, uh, around that too. Jeremy, to, to bring you back in on uh, a point that was mentioned earlier, and I, I think here of the decline of some of the insurance brands and the, and the rise of the, uh, the, e the retailers and e-commerce, what really struck me during the pandemic was how different insurers stood up. Outsurance, for example, when there was a whole issue around business interruption cover, doesn't have a very big book in the hospitality and tourism space, but said, right, we're going to honor those claims. If, if you've got a claim for BI because the economy was shut down during, to the during the pandemic, we're not going to argue on the legal technicalities, we're going to pay. Other insurers, Suntum, Guardrisk and others, chose to go the legal route and ultimately ended up losing in court. Do you see this having a, a big impact on the way consumers uh, view those brands who chose to fight them during the pandemic rather than support them? I think it is, Michael. Um, remember, it was Warren Buffett who many, many years ago said, you can spend decades building a brand and you can lose it in minutes. He's absolutely right, of course, but the change today is you can lose that reputation in seconds. As you say, Santam took a huge hit. We've got the digital, uh, we've got the chattering classes, lots of people challenging brands. And this is the reality today that um, if a company is not agile, um, it's going to get into trouble. I, I think one must stress, though, that where a company has a track record of being very strong and using those words that we've used before, the values of trustworthiness and integrity, they might be able to ride through much more easily. Uh, and as Ben was saying earlier, strong brands build loyalty, they can charge a premium and people will go back to them and people, if they can't find that brand, will go elsewhere until they do find their brand. So there are all sorts of aspects in the mix here. But I think the insurers have taken quite a hit and it's quite a wake-up call. Mm. Um, and they're realizing now that perhaps the way they treated uh, their customers perhaps two, three, five years ago is not the way today because things have changed. Jeremy, we often talk about the fact that uh, you can't find many CEOs who would be classified as rock star CEOs. And uh, Ben's point earlier about Amazon, you know, we know uh, Jeff Bezos' name is a household name here. We know what happens when he gets divorced. Same with uh, Bill Gates and, and many others. You can't say the same about South African CEOs. Are they realizing the importance of, of their brand value role, of their, their custodianship and stewardship of brands? Uh, because I'm not seeing it from, from where I sit. There's uh, not enough time spent talking about the issue. Well, it, it is interesting around the world how in some countries their, their leaders, their CEOs are celebrated. Um, and as Parallel said, this is part of um, soft power, uh, the leadership of a country, the leadership of the companies. I think we've got to mention, though, that in South Africa, as Michael, you and I know, sometimes you know, high profile, especially business leaders, have actually been taken out by the political forces. Um, and it's got quite um, rough in a, the last few years when uh, a captain of industry raises his voice against the government and suddenly that company is threatened with losing contracts and all sorts of things. So we're in a very small marketplace here. It's very sensitive um, and one's got to look at all the aspects. But I, I totally agree with you that there are some, well, many, many chief executives that are not recognized. Uh, we had a little survey recently where we listed 10 major companies and we asked people, and I'm including people like Sasso, people in the top 10, um, could they name the chief executive? And for the most part, they couldn't. Um, and I think that's something that uh, must change because 
if you think of the top companies around the world, you only have to say Amazon, you say Bezos, you say Microsoft, you say Apple, immediately everyone knows who they are. I think you're going to get a call from Fleetwood Krobler to tell you to go your own way, Jeremy, <laughs> after that. But it's true. I, I mean, I, I tend to agree with you. Now, Ben, just back to the point of valuing brands. And I mentioned earlier on uh, the options available to South African management teams have narrowed. They got their fingers burnt badly by going offshore and doing terrible deals. And I think of um, Ian Moyer and the Woolies deal, buying David Jones at an e extremely huge multiple uh, and failing to be able to turn it around and so many others. Uh, you can value the brand when you do a transaction because you've then got to recognize it but often brands are not uh, recognized uh, and they sit as intangible assets uh, on the balance sheet uh, only in uh, in thought how do you actually measure the value of a brand take me through that process of, of, of measuring a brand's value absolutely so I mean the point that you alluded to earlier was that companies aren't allowed to legally recognize internally generated brands on their balance sheet. So a lot of that would fall into undisclosed intangibles. But at Brand Finance, what we use is a, a method called royalty relief, which essentially looks at the, the trademark and how much that trademark is worth in, in an arm's length transaction. And we essentially look at two core components. The first is the brand strength, where we essentially look at the health of the brand from perspective of investment, brand equity, and brand performance. And we see those as key things that anyone wanting to purchase a brand would look for. They would want to see that the brand is being invested in, for example, marketing, research, and development. They would then want to see the rewards of that investment, such as positive brand measures like high consideration, growing reputation, and then as a result, of course, they want to see the bottom line improve, things like margins, mm. revenue, um, return on assets. So th that's the, the first step where we, we get a score out of 100 through that balanced scorecard approach. Um, we then basically apply that through a, a financial model using discounted cash flows. And at the end, we come up with the, the brand value, which is the value of which the brand is worth if, if sold to another a stakeholder. The name royalty relief essentially it comes down to being relieved from those royalties if you were to lease that brand to somebody else how much would you ask them to pay you for the use of that brand and i think a particularly important uh, insight at this time when uh, we are seeing covid perhaps change the, the underlying uh, conditions that underpin and support that valuation of the asset that sits on the balance sheet and a good time for management teams to uh, go and uh, get an appraisal on what that valuation is, potentially undervalued, overvalued, that might inform a particular corporate strategy as well. I want to go around the table just as we've got a couple of minutes to go. Uh, Apparel, let's start with you. What were your um, concluding observations from this year's uh, top 50? I think one of the key strengths, and I'll bring the soft power element here, is that one of the key strengths for South Africa soft power is its future growth potential. South Africa has ranked amongst the top 10 in the world as the top 10 nation to have you know, future growth potential. And I think that's a huge opportunity for corporates to leverage this momentum and further build their brands and businesses off the back of it. Ben? Sure, I mean, perhaps leading on from what Parul said, I think there, there's kind of often a wave of optimism, you know, the same as kind of skepticism in South Africa, where it's often quite polarized. You've got one group who can kind of see that uh, 
you know, positive horizon, whereas others are kind of like where, you know, think things are, are looking down and, you know, you should get all of your assets out, out of South Africa. But I think you only have to look to some of our sectors like financial services and banking in particular, where we we see strong brands. We see, we see this show not just through robust financials, but also how consumers respond in the various uh, studies that we run each year at Brand Finance. We see other brands growing in other sectors, and I think, you know, it's. I think as we mentioned earlier as well, that resilience in that brand value has hardly changed year on year. Of course, there's there's still about 15 billion short of the the pre-COVID valuation mm. that was done at the back end of 2019. But I think there's still a lot of positives we can take from the the top 50, um, and I would. I would like to think that we'd see an increase in value come the, the same rankings next year. And it, and it shows in the fact that we recently had Heineken sniffing around Distel a couple of years ago. The, uh, the pioneer PepsiCo transaction was uh, the, the dealmaker's deal of the year. So clearly foreigners seeing value in the assets, uh, while potentially, to your point, Ben, some locals uh, trying to, to exit. Uh, that's the beauty of markets. Jeremy, what's your overriding uh, observation from this year's uh, rankings? I think carrying on from what you just said, Michael, that with PepsiCo coming in big time, looking as though Heineken, and Heineken after all is already here, it's got a lot of interest, including Vintook. Um, they're seeing South Africa as the gateway to Africa uh, increasingly. Um, and this is one of the big things, of course, Distel has been doing the last few years under an SAB guy, Richard Rushton, expanding up into Africa. It's also worth pointing out that um, when you actually look at where these brands are domiciled in South Africa, the vast majority are in the Gauteng, the Johannesburg area. Um, and then you go to the Western Cape, uh, which has got um, quite a few as well, obviously. Um, and then you go to KZN, where they've only got three or four of those top brands. So the power is very much around Johannesburg, and that's not going to change. And we're finding that that's having a huge impact on the economies of those areas. And it's the areas that don't have strong brands which are perhaps based more on commodities, such as agriculture, that are struggling. And of course, the big area that everyone is struggling on in South Africa is tourism, because basically mm. tourism has stopped. And we need tourism in this country. We need overseas visitors. And that's coming back to the argument that we need to vaccinate faster and faster here so that we're seen as a safe place to visit. Now, we certainly can't have five and a half thousand vaccines over a weekend. I mean, COVID doesn't take time off, Jeremy. Uh, but a fascinating uh, discussion and insights into the uh, shifting landscapes, uh, landscape, I should say, of South Africa's top brands. Jeremy Sampson, Managing Director of Brand Finance Africa, who is joined by Ben Bagri, Senior Analyst at Brand Finance in London, and Paral Sony, an Associate uh, at Brand Finance, with South Africa's top 50 brand showcase. Uh, certainly, resolve and resilience are the highlights uh, from this year's rankings.